Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Project Herbal Culture Podcast. This is Roy, and I'm recording a brief introduction for today's bonus episode. So this episode is a conversation with Maria Elena Baragan of the Fundacion Gustavo Orces and the Vivarium de Quito in Ecuador. And um, we're releasing this episode a little bit ahead of schedule and time for Snakebite Awareness Day, which is right around the corner on the 19th of September. And um, Maria Elena is doing some really important work in Ecuador on the subject of snakebite. So we wanted to get this out in time for that. Um, I also want to note that there's links in the show notes to um, the work that she's doing and how you might be able to support it and donate. Any support would be greatly appreciated. Um, also, toward the end of the episode, you'll hear us talking about um, a tour of the Vivarium de Quito. And we cut that section from the audio edition of the podcast. This is just kind of lots of oohs and ahs. Um, but I highly recommend checking that section out on YouTube as we've left it intact there. And that way you can get um, a good idea of how they've got the display set up at the vivarium. They're really beautifully made. Um, you can also catch a glimpse of some really cool rare snake species in Ecuador. Um, and lastly, I wanted to extend... Um, a shout out and our gratitude to my friend Marley Pfeiffer, who facilitated and coordinated this interview with Maria Elena. Um, Marley is an amazing um, nature journal, nature journaler, naturalist, artist, um, and he's currently traveling across Ecuador. Um, he just left the Galapagos and currently in Quito, soon en route to the Amazon. And you can follow along with what he's doing. Um, on YouTube or Instagram at Marley Pfeiffer. So, yeah, that's it. Um, please enjoy this bonus episode with Maria Elena Baragan. All right, everybody. So, welcome to Project Herpetoculture Podcast. Um, we have a really special bonus episode today. Um, we are joined by Maria Elena Baragan of the um, Vivarium of Quito, Ecuador. And, um, yeah, would you like to introduce yourself? Maria? Yeah, thank you guys for inviting me to this uh, podcast. Um, I am the executive director of an Ecuadorian NGO. We are based in Quito, and we are working for 32 years in the area of reptiles and amphibians. Uh, like 30 years ago, the, the world of reptiles and amphibians for Ecuadorians was like, what is that? They were only related to evil things. Uh, some some uh, venom things related to uh, some indigenous people preparation to hunt and such. However, and there is a contrast in a way that Ecuador is probably in the top 14 countries more most biodiverse in terms of reptiles and amphibians. And unfortunately, 30 years ago, there were like zero herpetologists. So the the creator of this organization, he is French. He came to Ecuador and he was amazed. And also he was sad saying, what is going on? Why there are not herpetologists? And he said, this could be a great thing to create an organization dedicated to the study of reptiles and amphibians. And that is why he created this NGO. And after a few months he created that, I asked to be a volunteer. And since that, I've been like, studying biology and, and being in the area of herpetals and, and amphibians. And more and more, I was having my duties to keep animals in captivity, 
um, captive management and, and also having the opportunity to work and, and visit some communities for biological purposes. However, we just as organization identified that this is a close relationship between indigenous people, rural areas, conservation of snakes. And there is also an interest to compile and gather information about bio biological aspects, which yes, it's going to help to scientists too in the in the scientific area, right? Mm -hmm. However, there is the other side, the, the impact of venomous snakes in human health. How many people is dying for snake bites? Mm -hmm. So we start that 25 years ago, and now all of the world is also um, um, finding out that there is an important impact of uh, snakes on human health. And that is why we are part of an international trend, if you, if you like, to, mm -hmm. to be able to work together. And that is why I would like to, to tell you later about this. And this organization since 1989 is developing uh, projects in the area of education to create awareness, to educate children, to involve primary schools, secondary schools, and we are also developing a program to receive students from universities to make possible for them to just have a few hours in the area of reptiles. And because of that, we are probably one of the institutions by which 90% of herpetologists, Ecuadorian ones, are already in the area of herpetology. So we are doing something, right? And also, there are some field work that we are uh, interest and we are carrying out since uh, many years ago different areas like some species, some monitoring in some hotspot areas like Chacoan areas, like Amazon mm. region. There is much, uh, there are some other areas in Ecuador, of course. However, we need to focus in some particular areas where there is just few information, you know, that funding for working on snakes is just not uh, available right now. Most of institutions funding um, for conservation purposes are having appealing animals like birds, like, like birds, sea turtles, mm -hmm. those the most probably attractive for humans. Mm -hmm. And in that, snakes are just the last animals where people are going to to be giving money for so we need to invent ourselves like designing projects attractive for many donors that yes they believe in our job and that is why we are still here after the pandemic that was terrible for us but even so we're still here and we are convinced that education is probably the most important tool it's a long-term uh, program, yes, you are going to have results after 20, 25 years, but I think it's something that we can be really happy about because most of communities trust on us and we are helping with them and we are creating like a attachment to them and we are helping them to improve their life quality, so that is one of our purposes, but also to help them to, uh, to manage the envenoming and, and that is why it's important to tell you about all of this to you this 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 afternoon. Thank you very much for listening to us. Of course, yeah, it's such an honor to, to have this opportunity to speak with you about all of this. Um, I'm I'm very curious about the vivarium itself. Um, so this 
this has been around has this been around for the entirety of the organization the, since 1989 or does it is it a more recent no it's it's its first uh a project in fact mm. is the most iconic project that we are keep going because in contrast of the high diversity is probably one of the countries where there is high amount of snakes that are killed because of fears mm. so right. we need to educate and that was our main purpose since the beginning and that collection was created basically for that reason we are receiving in a very good year, in, in very good years, we are receiving in these tiny facilities like 50,000 visitors. Right now, the reality is completely different. But yes, we are in these 32 years of war, we are almost 1 million visitors, which is great. Wow. Well, wow. probably not much, but for us, it's just a big thing compared that people is investing to pay a little amount of the ticket entry fee to see snakes. In comparison to go to cinemas, to rock festivals and things, that is and and soccer games. So for <laughs> us, it's great that someone invests paying to see snakes. <laughs> I would much rather go to the Vibranium. Yeah, yeah. Those other things. <laughs> Does it sound familiar for you? Probably in the United yeah. States, is, I'm not saying it's easier, but... I think that the herpetological community is bigger and, and you can yeah. have very good, good groups of, of, of herpetology teams, right? But here, mm. Ecuador is just very, very few of us. Yes. Right, right. So in the, in the collection of the species on display, do you have a particular focus? Is it primarily on snakes or venomous species or is it a broad diversity? Okay, our our master plan as a collection is first of all to have mainly Ecuadorian species based on the idea to educate. I am uh, I love every single snake, uh, snakes like uh, king cobras, mambas, and, and marine sea snakes. Yes, and would be great to have them in captivity. However, our main focus is to educate children from Ecuador about Ecuadorian species. And, and uh, depending on that, we have a large and, and big number of snakes, yes. However, we also have some uh, saurians, like iguanas, mm. like some colonials, like uh, uh, freshwater turtles, Amazonian turtles, because mm. our plan is to make a complete uh, facilities of the, uh, the most common uh, reptiles from Ecuador, the crocodiles, caimans, Anacondas, boas, ferdelands, coral snakes, forest corals, and the racer ones. This is more or less our our collection. However, in some situations, and based on the space that we are keeping right now, we always think that the management of animals need to be considered need to consider many factors like the space, like the staff. So it's not only the aim to have species, even if we cannot manage them, it's the opposite. If we are unable to manage some species because the needs of that animal is special, is particular, we decide not to include for the moment and in the future mm -hmm. probably, yes. So right now we have a large amount of snakes, venomous and non-venomous. We have frogs, a small amount of frogs because uh, before the pandemic in 2019, some of our frogs in the collection developed positive for chytrid. And I decide to just stop to avoid contamination and avoid um, uh, in, in, in 
taking the money for medicines and things, and we keep only a small amount of amphibians. However, we are thinking to increase that collection, not soon, but but yes, we, we have these plans. We, for the moment, for example, don't have crocodilians. We don't have kangs and, and crocodiles for the moment because the needs in terms of space are bigger and our facilities are just small. You will see. But it's a tiny place, a tiny place with one of the most amazing species that's, that we have in South America and especially in Ecuador, like Bushmaster, the Chocoan Bushmaster. I don't know if you ever oh, saw yes. one in nature <laughs> yeah. or in captivity. We have the, um, the Ferdelands that is distributed on the coastal region, one of the species responsible for 80% of snake bites on the mm. coast. We have the Ferdelands from the Amazon region responsible for 80% of snake bites on the Amazon side because these two species are very common on uh, secondary forests. So they right. used to live close to habitated areas and that is why they are causing this, this impact in human, in human health. Mm-hmm. In the other hand, we have very rare animals like Portidium arcose, Portidium nasutum, mm-hmm. Botrocophias microphthalmus, Botrocophias hyoprora. We have like a uh, uh, very large animal collection of very rare animals that no one probably has in captivity. And that is the, the exciting thing to be yeah. discovering about the captive management um, in 2016, uh, we published a very a complete uh, book of venomous snakes from Ecuador. It's in Spanish and probably not soon, but from here, like in a year, we are planning to do the English version. So I'm going to awesome. contact you guys to be able to, to tell the community, the, the English yeah. community, that this book is, is already in English. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we have some other plans to do field work about some particular um, species like Bushmaster. We are going to have an agreement to do the tracking of these species in the field to be able to evaluate the use of the space of that species in the forest and be able to, to do like a kind of suggestion for politicians to, to make sure that the size of natural parks and research will include the amount of the basic and minimum area that also snakes need, not only based on monkeys, on on wow. harp eagle, jaguars, and so, but also snakes. We are trying to involve uh, people at the levels to, to consider the, the policy makers and, wow. and be able to, to, to also uh, involve them in our job because these policies communities and snakes are going to live together. So we need to focus the conservation like in a kind of different approach, which mm-hmm. is hard because no one until now believe in our approach, but more and more and more people is coming on board. And, and it's not this is not happening only in Ecuador. It's probably the same initiatives or, or similar in Africa, in, in Brazil, in India. So at the end of the day, we are together like sharing experiences, sharing methodology, which is approaching communities. And at the end of the day, the scientists, we are not living in those areas. We are just there for our research. We go out and at the end of the day, communities are the ones that are living in contact with the 
environment and the, the biodiversity. So we need to also create like a community capacity, community resilience in many different aspects. So that is again a long-term uh, project. So yeah. we are patient enough to 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 keep going in that in that area as well. It's amazing. I'm really struck by that that um anecdote about just considering the home ranges of of snakes as well in these um in our conservation efforts i i have never this is the first time i've heard of someone speak to a snake as being important in that regard um, i obviously i hear a lot of that about like large cats and stuff like that but i'm curious um do you have have you been doing field work particularly on the Choco and Bushmaster, do you have a sense of their home range and um, what kind of species well, they Well, the thing, guys, is that the ecology of snakes here in the neotropics is completely different than what you can find in your country. Like, I've just been in a congress now in New Mexico and you can go and find the same specimen in the same spot like three years later you know what i mean right yeah. so here is not here the the amount of first of all the the micro habitats is going to be different every hundred meters in terms of of difference in in, in height in altitude mm. ecuador is probably one of the countries where we have areas in this in this city we are living now we are at two thousand eight 2,850 meters over the sea level. Mm -hmm. I don't know what is that. On it's feet. like 9,000 9, yeah. feet. Can you just help me more? Yeah, it's like 9,000 feet elevation. Okay, 9,000 feet elevation. 9,140 is, is what my. Uh, wow. Okay. Wow. So you, can, you can just leave it out. It's really high. It's up there. Really high. Probably we are in a season that we are just really cold. Well, the sun is coming, but it's cold weather now. Is We are going to winter. We don't have four seasons. Mm -hmm. And even so, if we just walk or drive from here 40 minutes down in the direction of the Amazon, the west, right? Or east, east mm -hmm. sorry, east. We can find a typical false coral in Quito that you are going to be amazed. Would you like to see that? Yes, please. Yes. You <laughs> <laughs> Also, I want to take a quick moment to introduce Marley since his voice just came This, this is one of the most amazing <laughs> These uh, can be found here near the city we are living. It's probably one of the species that is in danger. We are lucky we are breeding them right now. I hope uh, one day don't know when to breed them and, and export. Why not? Yeah. It's a big issue that it's a big, yeah. big issue here. And this is one of these snakes that no one knows. I mean, they probably hibernate, yes, but no one has studied the ecology and behavior of that snake in winter season. We know that they can probably come down in the in terms of reducing their amount of food, probably close to some land properties that you guys or king snakes you have uh -huh. in the States. But uh is is amazing it's very very nice you are having them they are killed every single day 
We are rescuing some of them. Some of them came with uh, ribs broken or some mm. some damage that we cannot um, we cannot manage. Yeah. We also have a group of, of volunteers, vets that come. However, and in contrast of these, the schools of veterinary here don't tell about uh, wildlife or they they consider wildlife but just very few aspects of mammals and birds. But the right. snakes, we don't have a, a professionals with the information to be able to work with reptiles as a professional level. So we need to to invite the students to be like teaching them that this is an amazing area and working with reptiles is just amazing. So just to give you an example, so this is the Lampropetus Well, actually, we need to work a little bit more on taxonomy, but it's amazing, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. This, can be, this probably is a is a is a male. I'm not sure. Because females can be bigger, but this is very nice. One of my favorite species from from Ecuador, from the Andes, in fact. Just exquisite. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, would you like so, to see another one? Of course. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So, another one is one of the most common boas in the coastal region in Ecuador. And probably you are going to be amazed of the pattern of this animal. Well, it's not that one, but anyway, I thought it was another one, but it's the pattern of the boa constrictor from the coast. Whoa. From Ecuador. Whoa. Some of them, wow. not all, some of them come from illegal trade. Mm. We receive them as confiscation. As you know, and you're familiar with reptiles, they can be in captivity and not able to go back to the wild. And really, I consider that going to the wild, uh, re um, releasing animals now in wild is a little, yeah. it has a big issues because we didn't evaluate 100% of the health of these animals. And we're going to do all of this. So, this is a <laughs> An amazing snake that can reach, for example, 4.5 meters in the wow. adult age. It's probably a young male as well because it's, it's just small and it's been here like eight years already. Wow. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is an amazing, an amazing animal. And just answering one of your comments at the beginning, asking us if we keep... Um, animals that are not from Ecuador, yes. It's not our main focus, but yes. And why? Ecuador is starting to suffer from illegal... Well, no, it's not a starting. Ecuador is probably one of the countries where most of the illegal trade of many things happens, but wildlife is one of those because we have a very weak uh, legislation, no controls, and, and it helps to smugglers to come to Ecuador and take some beautiful animals. But mm -hmm. right now, it's another factor affecting our wild, our native fauna. Mm -hmm. uh, is a, a exotic animals mm -hmm. are starting to come to Ecuador. Well, no, no, no. Oh, interesting. Exotic animals are starting to be um, 
some people is coming to Ecuador, buying overseas and bringing some animals, which is fine. I'm not against that. However, here we don't have the legislation to have like a list of people having these exotic animals. They don't have the information on how to keep this in captivity. Here we don't have the technology to get access to electric bulbs or heat pads. There is no, we import everything to, 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 to be able to keep our facilities with the animals. And in some other situations, we invent some things. However, these exotic animals are starting to come like this. Very nice. And this is starting to be, in my view, one of the species that soon is going to be a pest. Yeah. Wow. No control. Local authorities don't know how to manage it, don't know the diseases they can transmit to local fauna. They don't know anything. So we are the only ones probably that we are able to suggest and advise to authorities, hey, you need to put control on that, mm -hmm. which is really hard. We are a country of 14 million people wow. and it's starting to be a big, big issue not only in the area of reptiles. However, reptiles are starting and you know that are easy to keep in a, in a bag, easy to transport. You can put down their, their activity, just cooling them down. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, there are some aspects that authorities need to know about that. And uh, in that sense, we are working with the environmental police, uh, police people mm -hmm. to be able to train them we are training people at airports to be able to track if someone is taking animals overseas or bringing animals illegally. So as you can see, it's a lot of jobs in many different aspects yeah. and, and we cannot manage all of it because we need to involve new professionals, younger ones. But again, someone needs to give the, the guideline for that. And, and we are just, working by starting from scratch more or less <laughs> so uh oh sorry go ahead Roy. no no you folks uh i mine my i just had a um just sort of a curiosity about uh, with with all of these responsibilities and all of these different projects that um your operation is focused on uh, is it do you have a substantial staff? Um, and, and is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I'm feeling bad because I'm really strong and, and I can manage some things. However, after the pandemic, our staff was reduced to half. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean? That it doesn't necessarily mean that the activities are going to reduce in amount. Of course, they are going to be probably twice, but less personal, less staff. Mm -hmm. So we can manage. I have an amazing staff of, of, um, of paid full-time personnel. Mm -hmm. However, we also have the help of these students that get involved with our act work and they got the energy and, and, and the, the, good, uh, uh, the good way to, to help us. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. It's, it's a lot to do. And, and, and I am just mentioning the areas that we are able to, to be working because we are the only ones who are doing that. In some other areas, I would definitely would love to work, but I don't have time. I don't have the funds. And mm -hmm. for the moment, it's not my priority. For yeah, example, right. uh, 
There are some things related to marine marine sea snakes. I love them, but I haven't done any job related to uh, to sea turtles. Sorry, I said sea snakes or sea snakes as well. But sea turtles, we don't do that for the moment. No money, no staff, and and there is to open another area on the coast, which we don't have the the time for the moment. Another area would be great to keep like um, uh, a big number. We have a, a country that have a like an important a number of species from the Colonian group, very interesting turtles from uh, the Amazon, freshwater turtles from the coast. But we don't have the time to, to focus on that group yet because we are just mentioning some other areas that we think is a priority and maybe one day but not for the moment and yes we don't have enough staff mm. however we can just organize our priorities in a way to be able to have outcomes and, and be able to have results and be able to make publishings and advice to authorities what is going on in the area that we are working mm. Thank you for that. I, I, I'm curious about this. Um, you mentioned earlier some difficulty um, getting like the lamps and stuff for the animals. And I'm curious to hear more about like, what are some of the challenges for uh, managing a captive collection in Ecuador? And Oh my God. Yeah. That is a big deal. So always when, when some friends like Morley or whenever you like to come or other friends that, that come to visit. I'm not. Um, I'm not comparing our job to your job in a way to be mm -hmm. disrespectful. However, <laughs> I think that it's easier in the states to call some or go to the how do you say the area where you buy these reptile things uh, to the mm -hmm. expos to the to the expos yeah, or to the, the expo, places yeah. that you can find the, the everything right i'm just amazed yeah. and i have the opportunity to travel and i'm able to to bring that in my suitcases <laughs> <laughs> here here we don't have we don't have so we need to invent for example mm -hmm. we need since i start here when i was studying at uni my boss show me how to make the heat pad. I know how to make it. <laughs> <laughs> I buy the ingredients, wow. whatever thing, and I made them. Mm -hmm. That means cost and time from myself, right. which putting in a balance. And if I make an importation from the States, all of the tools are going to stay in the customer at the airport for six months or more. With the risk that never ever I'm going to get access to that because there are terrible policies in terms of importations in Ecuador. Don't ask me about that because it's a mess. <laughs> and I prefer to have some friends and, and contact and say, Hey, are you coming to Ecuador? Would you mind having your half bag with these things? And yes, they bring, but just few things and all of the, the tools. All of the tools that we have are from, from friends, not necessarily they gave me as a, as, a, as a gift, some yes, some others just bring and I pay. So all of these tools, forget it that I can find in Ecuador. Wow. <laughs> Never. Yeah. The, so everything we need to, to invent. 
In these inventions, for example, you know that reptiles need an amount of sunlight, right? We do have some bulbs that I bring for special uh, species that yes need, and they are more uh, uh, sensitive, and I don't like to take them out and don't like to touch them much. So I just prefer to put in those the little bulbs that I bring. But in some other situations that snakes or turtles or lizards, I I have a, a schedule for every single animal to take sunlight directly in a sun area outside, outdoor. Mm -hmm. And I take the animals outdoor every time under the schedule to make them possible their growth. So that is how I provide them the UV supply and, and yes, for their growth. And in some situations, that sounds crazy, but yes, this is what I can manage and I can do. I learned doing that. And uh, yeah, one day when I'm going to have like a big um, container of things, I would be really happy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. With all of this. Uh, yeah, it, it's incredible to hear about that. Um, that particular challenge that you're overcoming because you know uh i feel like it's easy for for myself anyway to take for granted the ease of, of uh, with which we can get whatever we need just to mm -hmm. you know go ahead yeah. oh, oh, light, light bulb burned that burned out all right i'll go five minutes down the road and get another one um wow. yeah, yeah, that is what yeah i'm not saying i'm not saying you guys made an easier your life not <laughs> oh, in no way but it's easier you know what i mean yeah 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 and, and just to, to, to put another thing i learned and we do have our own place to breed mice and rats here again no way to buy rice and mats anywhere we are probably the only few within three people in ecuador that we are breeding rats mm -hmm. and breeding mice for our yeah. our needs and in some situations, we sell for friends that they are starting their breeding places, but they don't know how to do that. So we have a breeding place for mice, rats, wow. crickets, mealworms, wow. um, uh, snails, because we have some species like dipsas, like right. seabon that feed uh, snails, earthworms. Uh, yeah. Wow. The only thing we don't, we don't breed is chicks that we receive sometimes in donation from the big uh, companies that that put those little chicks that don't have the special weight for mm -hmm. uh, human consumption. They send to us as, and, and thanks thanks to them that we can just sort and change the diet within birds and, and rats. But yes, we breed our own food. That is probably one of the reasons why during pandemia, animals didn't affect much in terms of their right. diets, of course not. However, we were needing the income that we get from, from the ticket entry to cover all of the expenses, you know, uh, salary of people, uh, electricity, and mm. medicines, and, and all of the operational costs that were, were very difficult. But yes, we are two years after that. We are just reinventing. And, and yeah, so... So that's that's how it works. Is it? Uh, I'm I'm just curious. Uh, this might be just a slight 
tangent, but I, I I have to ask: Is this something that you've always been? You 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 exude such passion and determination with what you're, with what you're working on. It's it's really incredible. Is this something that you've always have you always been passionate about reptiles and 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 these? Oh animals my god, or? that's a very that's a very interesting question. Everybody asked me exactly the same. And in fact, when I was doing yeah 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 when I was doing my master's degree, well. You know, always going to family things. Uh -oh. When you grow up, when you were a little girl, I wouldn't say to you that I said, I am going to be an herpetologist. No way. I was sure, I was sure though, that I was going to be working in with wildlife animals because I was like impact on wildlife thing because I grow up with this um, TV program of the Lion of Two Worlds. I don't know if that sounds familiar. I don't know, probably you are younger than me. I don't know, but I grow up with that film, The, the Lions of the Two Worlds or something like that. And uh, with Tarzan things. Uh, yeah, I, I was, when I was three, I was watching that on TV. And that is why in my mind, I was like, I am going to dedicate my life to work with wildlife animals. That's the only thing I was saying until I started university at 17, saying I would like to work with wildlife animals. Wildlife animals, wildlife animals. When I was finishing high school, my dad said, okay, you said you like to work with wildlife animals. So why are you going to study then? And I was like, I don't know. Let's see what universities in Ecuador are actually having some prof some uh, bachelor degree in any wildlife animals. So my dad took me to one of three universities, one to three universities in Quito. I'm living in Quito. I'm come from the coast, but I was always living in Quito. Mm -hmm. So he took me to the first university to see veterinaria. I went to the veterinary. I saw, I talked with a couple of teachers there. They were, no, we work with horses, maybe. We work with dogs, cats. And I was like, okay, go out of that. <laughs> and my dad was, okay, is that what you? And I said, mm, not really. It's not what I'm looking for. Okay. <laughs> my, my dad took me to another university on the coast. We need to travel eight hours driving to some universities on the coast. Again, going to the uh, faculty and, and excited because it wasn't something marine. And probably, yes, that is the area. But I found like work with clams, shrimps for the shrimp industry of Ecuador. And we are the third country in the world to export shrimp so we wow. invest a lot so but that is not my area shrimps and clams <laughs> no way that's not what I'm looking for I said my dad no and my dad was okay but you need at least to have something in mind and no I so we went to the last university and we start finding out the career called biology and what gets my, my attention was zoology, botany. I don't like botany. I don't like plants. I'm really bad, but I just said, okay, <laughs> as a background, yes. <laughs> Entomology. So something was like matching what I was having in my mind. But to be honest, until that moment, I didn't find 
that reptiles or in particular snakes were my thing. No way. I discovered my thing, but that has a, something in my mind before that, but I'm going to tell you that later. So being in the second semester of biology, I started studying biology, happy, receiving biology, receiving all of the animal stuff I was happy with. And in the second semester, a friend of mine um, called me one day and said, hey, have, did you know that in Quito, there is opening a vivarium? Would you like to come to visit? I was yeah, like, what is that? I don't know, but let's go because we are biologists, must be our interest, right? We went to the vivarium, to this vivarium, not in this place, it was in an old house, where I found the place of my dreams. And I was like, oh, this is the place that I want to be working <laughs> in. And I start to take notes of all of the information in the plates of the animals. I didn't know anything about snakes. I didn't know such snakes were there, anything. But it was a very big coincidence. And I think that in life, things connect you with the interest that you have since you are a kid, and that's it. Is is not? I don't know. Is lucky? Is luck? I don't know. Is a coincidence? But life put together things that need to be together at some point. So while I was visiting that collection, there were a particular animal that was like, oh my god! It was a king cobra of about four meters that Ooh. I saw it. And it was a connection immediately between my brain, that animal I was, of course, respectful. I was in a shock. I never, ever in my life saw a snake like that in my life. And I was like, what is this? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Because the way this animal looked at me and behaved amazing. And I was like amazed. And I start like spending the rest of my afternoon in that, in that area until... My friend said, hey, we need to go back to uni. I said, no, goodbye, I'm staying. Goodbye, <laughs> I just didn't go back to uni. <laughs> and while the place was almost going to close, almost like 5, 5.30, I was still copying because in my mind was to see the animal, go home, and just memorize that things that I copy. And in that moment, the owner of that organization, my boss, that later on was my boss, he was passing and checking me. He was passing again, checking me until he couldn't avoid and approach me and said, hey, hello, I've seen you for like an hour here, just <laughs> writing down, copying the information. And, and I said, yes, because I am a biologist and I find this place amazing and I love it and I want to work here. I don't remember <laughs> if I said work here or, or volunteer here, I can't remember. And he said, oh, really? Okay, come with me. And he took me to the facilities that are out of the public view, the labs, the breeding places. And I was, oh my, and he, of course, knew what to show me, the most amazing thing. And he said to me, okay, you like to volunteer here, right? Yes, I wait for you tomorrow. The day after I was there. And since then, I am here. In GAPS, I went to do my master's degree and study my, some other things, but yes. So automatically, what matches with my brain, and later on I understood that, is that when I was three years old, I went to a cinema. My mom took me and my brother, 
And I saw a film that right now I can remember the name, and I was impressed because in some part of the of the film, there is an impressive spitting cobra doing exactly what the cobra I found in the facilities did for me. Look at me, and I was like, connect with that, that moment. I think that was it. I wow, found wow. The, my place. That is so that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> what an amazing story. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that is why I love I love what I'm doing. Yeah, it really shows the passion is <laughs> yeah it's right there, and um, yeah, it's so amazing that you can trace it back to this moment. You know, I think that um, many of us have those kind of indelible moments that stand out like that and that help us on the path. So it's so cool to hear about that. Uh, yeah, but I think that you don't look for these things, but things are there and it's just yeah. something yeah. that just connects again. I, I exactly. didn't know. I didn't again. I didn't start university saying I'm going to start herpetology to become an herpetologist. Yeah. Never, ever. And I just realized 10 years ago what being an herpetologist means, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that I, yeah, you know what? I didn't think to put in my CV, I am an herpetologist. I was like, <laughs> really? Is that what I am? Okay. <laughs> but it's just how the experiences and things are just shaping what you are and what you're doing right now, which I'm really, really happy with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Very cool. Well, I had I had one other question that you you had mentioned when you were showing us the Lampropeltis, um the um, something about breeding them and po- possibilities for exports. So I'm curious: is there is there a are there legal channels for yes. uh, bread export? And is that happening? I I know that uh, okay. smuggling is an issue. So oh, I'm curious about okay. that. Okay, so here, here I go. I'm going to just reveal very big issues here. Yeah. Um, the thing is the following. Um, Ecuador is probably one of the most diverse countries in the world in terms of reptiles. Yes, this mm-hmm. is a fact. There is also an important um, interest in Europe and US for having Ecuadorian species? Yes, this is another fact. How on earth we can be standing as as this sensation of no, what is that possible to commercialize wildlife fauna? I mean, that is these people that is living in a kind of hypocrisy that mm. that don't like to go a step forward and say can be the solution. However, mm. to be able to do the solution, you need to take into account many things. Like, are we having technicians to be able to breed animals with ethics, with the knowledge, with the with the needs that those animals have? No. So first of all, we need to have some subjects at the level of universities to teach animal management in captivity, why? Find loss of your captivity and such and such. Why? Because we are probably, we have as an institution, listen to me, the permission number 001 for captive management of reptiles. Wow. People in 1989, authorities didn't know, oh, are you going to open a snake house? Are you crazy? And my boss is French. My ex-boss is French. 
So he was the crazy French guy to have snakes in a house. So poor guy, okay, give him a permission, poor guy. He cannot manage doing business. He cannot manage <laughs> doing art. He, poor guy, has uh, to put snakes in a case. Pity. Please give him permission for that. And he, with this institution, believe me, was considered like a cinema attraction. And, we, and he was paying... A taxes to the authorities like a cinema. Believe that. Believe me, believe it or not. Yeah. So we were in a kind of attraction uh, 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 like a status, like, like a, a circus. Side show. Yeah. yeah. No, a show, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was like, Are we in Latin America? Welcome to Latin America for these things. Because, because my country is amazing, but these issues are just sometimes telling me that they need to go overseas because sometimes it's, an, it's terrible. You cannot manage, but I mean, I'm Ecuadorian and that's my challenge mm -hmm. to educate my authorities too. And the thing is that we were the first place in the entire Ecuador to start showing the, the, the authorities, the community that yes, we can have like a zoo. There were a zoo, but about just focus on reptiles was like, not way. At the end of the day, now people understand our role. We are probably the first institution in Ecuador to be able to educate, to do um, environmental education in terms of reptiles and they are learning from us. And right now there are many other institutions, but we were the first to, as a pioneer in that area that all, no one knows, no regulation. Even there were no the Ministry of Environment, like right now, we were created under the legislation of the Ministry of Agriculture and, and livestock and ganaderia. Uh, yeah, livestock. And livestock. livestock. Yeah. Okay, anyway, we have the permission, everything legal, blah, blah, blah. We start having a patente every year. We need to have the permissions, fill up the forms to say how many animals we have, how many died, how many came from the commission, the, the commissions, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Mm -hmm. At some point, there is one organization in Ecuador that is producing frogs for exportation legally to Europe and the States. And it's a big, big, big issue saying, why this institution selling our wildlife, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. These people that it's living in the in hypocrisy Mm -hmm. because they don't know the costs of having animals in captivity. Our costs are $200,000 per year. Mm -hmm. Where we are getting this money? From the free ticket entry? No. From our donations? No, only that. From our mm -hmm. projects? No. So people don't know. People don't even know that I am a professional. When they invite me to do an speak and I charge, I say, yes, my speak to be there is going to cost that Oh, please, but you, can you, are you charged? Yes, because I went to uni, because yeah. that is my profession. I am not a clown, even a clown charged <laughs> to make a funny thing. Yeah. So do you understand what I mean? It's a very tiny mind to understand that this is another profession. We need to go to invest our money and educate ourselves. They don't understand that. It's a new area. So right now, authorities are keeping in, our, in their eye, not with a very technical um, argument, and they are 
receiving advice from these animalist groups and say, mm-hmm. hey, the vivarium is breeding animals and they are having snakes in poor cages and they don't know that snakes don't move much, but they gain. And mm-hmm. that is why these authorities are putting under legislation terrible normative that don't apply for us. And they are trying to avoid that we are working on that. But believe me, I'm working against that fact and I'm going to be probably the first institution to breed animals with commercial purposes, not to make put the money in my pocket, but to, to sustain this operation that at right, the end of the day right. I'm doing projects and so but people don't understand that. People when they come to to ask for services, I am doing another area is to work in some other areas, rural areas to um to do like training, training for communities to avoid snake impact. And these things, I, I don't charge to communities that are in isolated areas because they don't have mm-hmm. the money. But if mm-hmm. the military group of, of, of I don't know, the, 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 the high staff of military people is inviting me, I need to charge them. I am not going them to, to give talks and, and training for free. And they say, are you going to charge us, the military people? Yes. What's the problem? It's my job. Yeah. It's my institution. We need the funding. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that breeding legally animals in captivity is one of the ways. Why not? However, there are some ethical issues that we need to solve first. Right now, legislation is incorporating terrible articles from the animalist groups. They, of course, mm-hmm. like to close every zoo in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ecuador is not the exception. We, they are coming to here, to my facilities, like, how do you say when you don't, ap- don't show who you are? Um, uh, in disguise. Thank you. Yeah. cover. listen, undercover to ask and measure my enclosures, measure, uh, evaluating why the, the place where I'm putting the labels of the cages are there and they are evaluating, oh, this place is not doing information for children because the labels are too high for children. And I'm saying, who is evaluating that? Is there any expert about information in museums that came from to evaluate? Yes, I can accept that kind of evaluation. I cannot accept evaluation for people that is not a technician. You understand what I mean? Yes. If they measure my exhibits, yes, but the profile of someone that can make any comment about my place need to be in terms of academical qualification three times better than me. If no, Fair enough. who can judge my work? You understand what I mean? Oh, yeah. And that is why people don't like me. <laughs> because I am speaking up and be like this to the authors. No, you are not going to be the one that are going to evaluate my place. Yeah. Bring me somebody else. You I can accept. So that is why they don't like me. But anyway, I am not, I am not here to to do what they want i have my ethics and i have my profession i am sure i'm doing things good in terms of education probably i need to improve some yes i'm not close to that far but the the path is just full of stones mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right that, that's uh, really uh, incredible too because i feel like there's at least here in the states anyway there tends to be kind of a, um, a split between the people who 
you know, maybe are for some research and for some, some scientific exploration of certain animals, but they don't want anything that resembles the captive propagation or commercialization of species. Well, no, here's two. Here's two. Oh, yeah, these, yeah. These colleagues of mine that don't ask me names, please, <laughs> they said, oh, but you're a pathologist, Maria. Yes. Oh, but you're working with animals in captivity. So I'm saying, of course, because the investment of money to be able to go to the wild and learn in nature about mm -hmm. reproductive behavior of arboreal vipers. Tell me, do you as a pathologist from the field learn yeah. one day? Never, yeah. ever, my dear. No yeah. way. <laughs> so we need to learn from captivity of this species because in wild, impossible. I never, ever found a baby lachesis in wild. Raise the hand. Oh, the the one that made that. No one, zero. We need to do that in captivity. Sorry. And mm, this group yeah. of, I have to tell you that this is a new, I call them millennials. I don't like them very much. I don't know if you are <laughs> with those. <laughs> but they, they consider their pathology to be catching snakes in wild, having a nice pic on Facebook and having this. That yeah. is an herpetologist for the new, I'm sorry what I'm saying, but mm -hmm. that is what they think is an herpetologist. And yeah. they invalidate any other way of gathering information from captivity. And I hate that because it's valid. Most of the zoos mm -hmm. gather important information in talking about reptiles. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's from captive. I think, yes, there is an important amount of information that we can gather from while, yes, <laughs> however, is the minimal amount and considering the low and, and scarce availability of funding for this kind of projects, we need to use the captivity as a tool. Mm -hmm. It's not the only thing, but yes, I and of course, my entire life I've been working with animals in captivity, so I'm, I am a defender. Defender. a defender of captive management when, of course, the conditions, the ethics, all of the things are going to not uh, violate the needs of the animal. Yes, I am also an animalist in that way, but not with stereotypical uh, concepts of what captive management Mm -hmm. So right, it's such a complex topic. Of course, it's really, yeah. really complex. But yes, there is a, there is a very uh, often that fact that I am not invited, for example, and I don't need that. Mm -hmm. Or this group of assessment, assessment of the uh, population, assessment of wildlife fauna i'm not invited because i'm working in captivity and i'm just saying mm -hmm. okay is their right to not invite me but yeah nothing yeah. against it but i'm saying they are close minds in that mm -hmm. way yeah yeah those wow. are good insights i hope this part of the thing is not is going to be added okay <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell our um, editor. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Well, we're already, we're already, we've already been talking for almost an hour, and I want to be respectful of your time. So I want to, maybe we can transition to talking a bit about. 
Yeah, so just whenever you can, yeah, guys, let me know if we can continue or if we can just create like a specific topic I would be really happy with. Mm -hmm. It's just in honor of your time as well. I would like to propose that let me show you a little bit of my facility, which is going to be really quick and, and, and fast because probably the availability of Wi-Fi is going to be limiting for a specific amount, but just to have a look. And then I don't know if you can have questions about yeah. that. Yeah. We can be just answering what you think. Yeah. And we're going to have to switch devices to do that. So we're okay. going to have to sign off. But also I would like to, that you ask Morley about why he yeah, is yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Thank you, why yeah. This guy introduced me, you guys. So that would be also nice before switching to the other, to the other, to the other device. device. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So Marley, thank you so much for um, you, for everyone listening. Marley is really the one that facilitated this happening. Marley is a good friend of mine who's in Quito right now and um, is doing some amazing work. So maybe Marley, you can speak a little bit to what you're doing down there. Yeah. Um, well, I came to Ecuador in 2017 and I didn't know about the vivarium. And I think I just came for a walk around. There's this great central park here called La Carolina and there's a botanical garden and stuff like that. And I was just walking around and I saw this building and it said vivarium. And I was like, I'm going to go check that out. And I like nature journaling. So I'm always like drawing and sketching the stuff that I see. And I came in here and there was just tons of snakes. The, um, you know, the exhibits are pretty well done, which is something I'm very picky about. Um, and I, the everything looked like really good. And I was sketching all the snakes and had an awesome time. I think I came back. I spent like four days in Quito and like three days I came to the vivarium and just, I didn't meet Maria Elena at that time. Um, and then later I was planning to come back down here to do some nature journaling, education, collaborations. And I was trying to get a National Geographic um, grant, actually. And so I emailed Maria Elena and I emailed a ton of other people, but she responded like right away and was like, yeah, let's do uh, an illustrated book about, um, you know, venomous snakes for educating communities and stuff like that. Like she had a ton of ideas. So then we started talking and, you know, things just got started from there. So I'm not a herpetologist. I'm a nature journaler. I love sketching. Um, and uh, learning about reptiles as much as possible, other species as well. I've dabbled a little bit in herpetoculture and kept some species when I used to live in California, but right now I'm just traveling and learning and doing some collaborations here at the Vivarium. So we are going to do um, a book for children that is going to be hopefully in English, Spanish, and probably two native native uh languages we i don't know you know but ecuador after the spanish we have like 150 different indigenous languages that i don't speak i'm sorry for that i feel sorry for that but that is the way to educate those children in in the jungle about the snakes too and i can learn from them what how they call some species that we just manage the spanish name and that's it, but we need to connect with their culture and their vision too. So I found when when Marley sent me the mail, you forgot to mention that he sent me some of the drawings. The yeah. drawings. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. His drawings were just, hey, I would like to work with you. <laughs> and that's being very I modest. Start, we start discussing, yes. 
Yes. Wow. Yeah, I've drawn some of Roy's uh, Roy's reptiles as well too. So I've had. Yeah. So one one day, what I propose to you guys is that we can actually invite Morley to to be drawing, and you can just have the video of that, and and I can tell you what species is, because that is the nice thing. Uh, People don't know that these animals feel, these animals have sensations, these animals have babies, these animals rhythm, these animals of males, females. And that is what I want to tell to connect with people. Plus other some other things that I don't like to talk now because it's going to take you like more one more hour or more. But yes, <laughs> there are lots of things to talk about our our specimens here. Yeah. So That's many things. Great. On that subject, okay. I'm curious. Okay. Yes, yes, sorry. You want to um um talk about snake the snake bite awareness a little bit before we oh, okay or after what do you prefer oh, okay so the 19th of september each year since 2020 is considered at a worldwide level the award the snake bite awareness day because most of institutions involved in any way or in any aspect of the snake bite we are doing our individual but but global efforts to make it visible to the world how important it is to educate people about the snake bites in mm-hmm. terms of prevention first, in terms of the treatment that in some areas, and Ecuador is one of those, we don't have uh, antivenom available, unfortunately, we need to import. Mm-hmm. But in some other countries that there is the the production of anti-venom, there is a kind of more easier to get access. And even so, in rural areas, the, the, the amount, the price of that anti-venom is really expensive that, that push people just to go to traditional healing treatments and so. And that is why one of the impact. And second, to, to put together scientists, people from communities, doctors, to understand that the snake bite impact is in some situations killing people, but in some others, which is the high amount, is having people with disabilities. And these people with disabilities is going to increase the cost for governments to, mm. to these people, someone, especially for school and food for their house is is going to to lose the job and such and that is the impact the socioeconomic impact of that if we do not manage these guys conservation is not possible i mean we can speak about the how amazing are snakes but if snakes are impacting at any level in communities people is killing them anyway that's it right so at some point, we need to understand biologists or pathologists working with the snakes. We need to understand that the conservation is an approach later on when we already solve the needs, basic needs of communities in terms of snake bite. So that is why we were people in Brazil, Ecuador, Colombia, India, Africa, States, Mexico, anywhere at different levels working. So right now we are a big, big campaign. We are having meetings all over the year to know how to impact. I am against to just design one day in a year while 
we have seasons, winter, summer, where this situation of snake bites can increase or decrease. However, we are working, we make it visible, and by coincidence, and I am not considered a feminist in a bad way, but most part of the time is women doing this, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. And that is why this group, we are working and we are doing some campaign. We have an, an, a hashtag for the day. If you like, I can send you guys. And that is why in my institution, we also have this flag of the Awareness Day and we are going to publish some things in advance since the 1st or the 2nd of September saying which are the most important uh, species with medical importance. Uh, why we need to follow our podcast, our information, why people need to come to busy, and just try to put more close to the community to what and why they need to learn about snakes. That is the important thing. Mm-hmm. So thank you for letting me talk about that as well. Of course. Because Ecuador is, is, is having like 4,500 snake bite accidents per year. Wow. And, and for, for that, it's like 0.01% deaths, which is not too much, but even if it's one, Ecuador needs to make a response about that. And, and there are some other aspects about diversity, the way to recognize snakes um, from venomous, from non-venomous things. And, and just to, to tell you just a bit of the, the last thing, when we I go to communities, I involve a group of women that are that are open to, to help me and say, we would like also to help you, but we also need to, to, to increase our income to change our lives. And I am working with them, for example, to do kind of mm. these things. Uh, yeah. And they are doing, and I am buying, and that means income for them and also income for me. And I am having some ideas about this to let you know sometime later about how to promote that people help yes. us yeah. by, by these things too. Yes. It's another aspect that is the business entrepreneurship thing that I also <laughs> love. <laughs> but this is this is I think a topic for another another meeting, I guess. Yeah. Shall we should we transition to the tour?